given the power to follow you in obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, in following uh, the account and life of uh, Sarah and Abraham, uh, we most recently saw Abraham and his obedience uh, taking Isaac as that offering and the Lord substituting and uh, giving him the ram, the sheep, the lamb that was uh, caught in the thicket. And uh, just very powerful lessons of faith there uh, for us. In Genesis 23, verse 1, it says, Sarah lived 127, excuse me, 127 years. <coughs> These were the years of the life of Sarah. Now, if you examine the life of Sarah and you think about everything that transpired in the beginning of her life and the learning that went on through the process and then how those promises came to fulfillment really at the end of her life, you know, it's in, you know after she's you know, over 90 years old, you really start thinking about that. Like, you know, it would have been better if these things were happening in my 20s, in my 30s, you know, even, you know, when I was, if you're going to be 127 years old, if it was happening when I was in my 50s or 60s, and, and yet it's happening at the end of her life, it's happening toward the end of her life. So many people look at their life in the wrong way, you know, they, they look at it as though, uh, you know, the, the Lord, uh, we hear people say things like uh, if someone passes away when they're younger. They say, oh, the Lord, you know, took them too early. Well, uh, to start with, God didn't take them. I don't mean to upset anybody. I've been at a number of uh, funerals where children or infants have passed away, and they'll share that sort of beautiful poem and picture about how, you know, God chose a child and took them, you know, while they were very young as like a bud in part of his bouquet of flowers. Uh, that's sweet and pleasant, and I appreciate that that's being said, but death was never part of God's plan. God doesn't look across humanity and find a pure, sweet, beautiful life and say, I want that for myself. I'm going to take that away from all of these people. That's not part of God's plan ever. Okay, He can comfort us. He can lead us. He can guide us through the most sorrow-filled experiences, but it was never God's intention that we would experience death. That's part of the reason that it's so grievous. It's unnatural. God built us and designed us to live with him for eternity. It is really, most directly, it'd be nice to be able to blame Satan, Lucifer, for his influence upon creation, but most directly, it's humanity that's responsible, Adam and Eve, for the introduction to death. And that's not my interpretation. That's what the scripture tells us. That through the one man's sin, Adam's sin, death entered into creation. So, so it is that you know this woman, here she is, at the end of 
her life. All of these promises and fulfillments are coming. She's receiving this son. Uh, she's now going to understand all of these great things are happening. I think that you know, the converse is true. So often people you know, get into retirement, get into those older years, and start thinking like, uh, well, I'm not useful anymore. These are the times where people are often most useful in the ministry. I mean, when you've got a job and children and all of those things, life demands that you care for that stuff. And add to that all of the wisdom and experience that has come. Our culture has developed a number of things in its thinking process that are really incorrect in regard to God's Word. You know, how many times have you heard me say, you know, that the pursuit of the American dream is not biblical? You know, you know what is the American dream? Right? You'd have to tell me what that means to you. But everybody sort of has this idea in their head. And, and spiritually, I'll say again, if you're dreaming, then you're sound asleep. It's time to wake up to the reality that we're living in. Every single passing day is more and more wicked, more and more evil, right? I mean, the news is just backing me up every day. Yesterday, right? The headlines are just showing us where we're at in time. There's no time to waste. There's no time to look around and say, I'll take my ease here. I've reached a point in life. I deserve this. What the Lord has for us is wonderful opportunities to see his promises, like Sarah, to see his promises fulfilled in our lives. It's, it's not time to become selfish and self-absorbed. This, this woman sees the greatest blessings, and I do mean the greatest blessings in history at this point fulfilled in her life. So we're all sitting here today inside salvation, if we've accepted the Lord as our Savior, because of this woman and because of her son who's come into the world, who through his lineage comes Jesus Christ. This is, this is a wonderful example of following the Lord and experiencing his fulfillment even in latter years. Now she's passed away. Don't be heartbroken. Don't look at it like, oh, just as she was getting all of these things fulfilled, like suddenly now you know, the poor woman passes away. That's not what the scripture is you know, demonstrating to us at all. This is a life fulfilled. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, the land of Canaan. Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The King James Version, New King James, it doesn't mean that he was somewhere else in Canaan. It means like this brought him to mourning. He, he, he was moved to a deep state of mourning for the loss of Sarah. We can well imagine all that they've experienced, all that they've been through, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the successes, the failures, their counterparts. They've been through thick and thin. And now 
who's lost this soulmate. Three, he says then, Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, excuse me, Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property or a burial, burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Again, this standing up is simply that he has the business of attending to his wife's burial that he's taking care of. And I like in verse 4 where it says, I'm a foreigner and a visitor amongst you. He, at this point, now has the promised son in his possession, which confirms to him every promise that God has made to him is going to come true, including the fact that all of the land that he's currently standing on, he's in fact the de facto king. This is his territory. God has given all of this land into his possession. All of this land is going to be inherited by his descendants. God is raising them up to be the authority. There's a very significant point in this. Because at this point, he doesn't have those things fulfilled in his life. So instead of that lordship attitude, what we see is humility. There's, there's nothing here that goes to the sons of Heth and says, Hey, look, whether you guys know it or not, I'm actually your king. All of you people are my subjects. God has given all this land into my possession, and everybody here should just be following my orders. He doesn't adopt that attitude at all. And if you're thinking, well, okay, I get that, but where is the application around us? There is, within Christianity, an inappropriate attitude towards the world. We don't have authority over the world currently. There, within Christianity, there is a demanding attitude amongst certain brothers, certain sisters, as though the world should just recognize who we are as the sons of God. It would be wonderful if that was the case, but it's not the case currently. The, the world is rejecting our king, rejecting our authority. Abraham has no position at this point. I'm a foreigner and a visitor amongst you. Uh, we'll take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
there are large groups of Christians that act as though right now we have authority and we should be building God's kingdom in this world. There is literally two movements, the word of faith movement and kingdom theology. Now, those two overlap a lot of the times, but in the end, the incorrect doctrine, follow this, if you're from one of these schools of thought, try not to be offended and just listen to what I'm saying. The incorrect doctrine results in incorrect behavior. The incorrect behavior then results in the world that we're trying to win over rejecting our message. We, we don't get to rule over the world now. There's a coming day where this whole world will be ruled by Jesus Christ our King, and we will rule and reign with Him according to the Scripture. But not currently. Abraham is someday going to see his descendants own and rule over all of this land. But at this point that we're reading, it's not the case. He doesn't rule over the land. When, when you teach along these lines, then what ends up happening is the people who think like this end up offending everyone around them and feeling very unfulfilled themselves because these promises aren't currently happening in their lives. Abraham was looking forward to this day, and he was hoping in faith and waiting upon the promise that God was going to fulfill these things. That's not a faithless act. It's not a faithless act to wait upon the promise of God. There is a coming day ahead of us where Jesus Christ is going to descend from the clouds and call his church home. We will ascend with him, and then when we return, we will have his authority as our own authority. When you turn on the television, and there's the preacher marching back and forth, shouting at the angels and the demons of this world as though he's going to have authority over them. And then within the culture, you know, for instance, no raising hands, please. How many have at least ever heard of, you know, claiming authority over a community? I'm going to bind the devil and claim authority over this community. Okay, look, I'll just tell you flat out, we'll, we'll examine it a little bit here. That's not scriptural. Binding, what say, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Okay, he's specifically talking to the apostles about the fact that their ministry directly to people, the authority that they have in their lives, give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The keys to the kingdom that are going to lock or unlock are the same type of keys. They aren't keys, spiritual, mystical keys, like I'm going I'm to lock up the devil in this community. 
That, that, that's not what's being described. They're keys like you have on your map. Right? This, this little checkered dash thing means that there's railroad tracks. So when you look at the map and you see that, like, what is that? You look down at the key and it says, those are railroad, oh, okay, those are railroad tracks. Mm. And then you see this little symbol over here, this triangle weird thing. What is that? And then you look down here, that's a camping area. Oh, that's a campground. This key tells me what these things are. I'm not making this up. This is how the, the Jewish rabbis understood the keys to the kingdom. When they had advanced in their studies to a point of being like a doctor or a professor, they would ceremonially be given a key that they would wear upon their robe. And it was an indication to the people. If you want to learn what something means in the scripture, how many times have you done that? You've been reading through something, and you can tell it's symbolic. You've got, I, I got no idea what that means. Then you go talk to someone who's more educated, more mature, has been in the word longer, and they explain. Well, let's go over here and look at what Daniel says. See how Daniel gives us this symbology over here? See how Jesus explains this here? The key helps you understand symbolically what is represented there. So then you can take that key and say to someone who's living in sin, uh, you might say that you are born again, but using this key of the scripture as I examine your life, I don't see the evidence of that. So I can, I can tell you that you are still bound in your sin. Because someone comes and says, you don't understand what I've been through. I was raised in this horrible home. I've been a sinner beyond compare. You can't imagine what a creep I am. If I told you the blackness in my heart, you'd run away shrieking, right? I just don't think God can forgive me. And you say, wait a minute. And you take them to the scripture and you show, show them right what like John said if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness so I can say to that person no you're not bound in your sin what I loose I take the key of the scripture and unlock them from their guilt and loose them from their guilt and say no you're free in Christ Christ has delivered you from your sin you are saved the person who says, I'm saved but lives in sin, I can say, no, you're bound in your sin. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And now you've got preachers walking around, you know, binding and loosing, and, you know, devils and angels and acting like they've got authority to change. You do have authority. You do have authority over the principalities in your community. And you're going to have it through warfare. You're going to go out the door and you're going to preach the word of God. And you're going to lead people to Christ and you're going to invite them to church. It doesn't have anything to do with sitting down in your house and praying about binding up devils and loosing angels. And the disappointment that has come for so many Christians who have prayed like that. And then 10, 20, 30 years later, they're looking around at their community 
and it's just in a horrible state. They've never walked out the door and just walked up to people and invited them into the kingdom. They've never actually engaged in the warfare that goes on to see people come. You think about how far this thing goes with this man Abraham, right? This is going to turn quickly and become Joseph, who's going to be in Egypt, and all of the family of Israel is going to come inside Egypt, and they're going to be there for more than 400 years, and they're going to become millions of people, and then Moses is going to lead them out, and then they're going to wander around for 40 years, and then they're going to re-enter this land, and they're going to have to kill the giants that live here. This is literally going to be a thing where they have to learn how to swing the sword. They've been bent over baking bricks for 400 years, carrying loads. They don't even know which end of the sword to hang on to. When they enter the land, yes, the conquering comes. But right now what you see is a humility, a humility in the life of Abraham that has a tremendous impact on the sons of Heth. He does not come with any claimed authority. He demonstrates the humility of Christ right here. Christ shows up as a humble servant, right? The king of glory, the king of all created things, all things came into existence through Jesus. And what does he do? He shows up riding on the colt of a donkey. Says you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you're going to have to serve everybody. Right? If you or I had showed up with all of that authority, I mean, what would have been like, right? He just would have nuked that spot right there. As a mushroom cloud rolled into the sky, you would have looked around at the rest and said, who's next? And whoever opposed you or me, no, we wouldn't have behaved like that. Yes, we would. How long would you have put up with it? If, if you didn't do that at first, when you were several years into it, <clears throat> at some point our flesh rears itself, our sinfulness, and Christ in his perfection comes in humility. Abraham, in the maturity of his faith, comes in humility. Watch how this unfolds. 23 verse 5, it says, The son that hath answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. See that Kyrios, master. They've got a respect for him. The last time we heard the number of his army, Abraham had over 300 highly skilled soldiers that were part of his security entourage. That's, those are the ones that were trained in war. And they were leading the others with it. I mean, when was the last time you ran into somebody that had a security detail of over 300 armed soldiers? That's an intimidating dude. You know, and then his farmers and his herdsmen and his family. They refer to him as Lord, Kyrios, Kyrios, my Lord. You are a mighty prince amongst us. Barrier dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you 
his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up, bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. He bowed down. This is literally an homage. It's not in it's not in gratitude or thankfulness. It's not the idea of, oh, thank you so much for that offer. Let me just tip my hat to you at all. This is this is humility. This man bows himself to the people of the land. He spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as proper as property for a burial place amongst you. Does it say go get Ephron? Bring him here. I've got some things to tell him. He he continues with the line of humility and says, if you would go in representation of me, break the ice, start the conversation with Ephron so that I could converse with him. Let him know I want to pay the full price. And I'm, I'm not here looking for kind of special deals based upon the fact that I'm currently in mourning. I'm not going to use the heartbroken state that myself and my family are in to try and get you know some kind of upper hand in this situation. I'll pay full price. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city. Listen, this is so official that he's in City Hall conducting this transaction. When it says at the gate of the city, whenever you see that, in the ancient text, in the, in the Word of God, it's talking about going to town hall, going to the courts, and actually standing before a notary. I'm putting it in you know, the modern vernacular. This isn't just a handshake in a field, and I promise I'll pay you. This is a matter of, let me go before the magistrates and the authorities of our culture and make this transaction with you in a, in a completely above-board Way. So he entered at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Listen, there's a sinfulness within each of us that at that point would probably go, Well, well praise God. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. The gift that you've bestowed upon. My pastor years ago was on a teen camp, youth retreat down here, Mount Desert Island. And they uh, were down playing in the water, in the ocean, and one of the kids said, Hey, look what I found! He's pulling this cage up out of the water. Well, it's not just a lobster trap. It's actually a pod. It's got like a hundred pounds of lobster in it. 
It's broken, loose in the morning, drifted ashore, buried in the water and the seaweed. There were a bunch of people in that group that were like, Praise God, get the butter! <laughs> and what my pastor did was said, No way. That's somebody's living. Literally, somebody just had a massive chunk taken out of their paycheck. There's no way we're keeping this. And it was tagged. So ownership is easily found. With, within an hour, they had that back in the possession of the lobsterman <clears throat> who owned it. There are times where opportunities of circumstance will sort of leap into your lap. And in our flesh, we have to be careful that we don't take advantage of the situation. We have to follow through in the godly manner. This man is offering Abraham a free plot of land, which has a tremendous value attached to it. Abraham behaves properly. Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead. Ephron answered, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your debt. Now, he quotes the full market price. It's substantial. And then he throws in behind that, don't even worry about it. What's that between you and me? That's chicken feed. We're both wealthy men. I'll gladly give you the land. Again, a second opportunity. To take advantage. He's saying this in front of everybody in City Hall, right? I mean, Abraham at this point could go, well, thanks. That's greatly appreciated. It's wonderful. Thank you for understanding my family's position at this time. I really appreciate He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named the hearing of the sons of heaven. 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants, meaning he pays it honestly. He doesn't then say, well, I'll negotiate this, and how about this much in land? I'll trade you land, and I'll give you this much cash, and I also have this, and I'll just put 400 shekels of silver, done. He just pays him the sum of money. He, he behaves in business completely above board. Even when he's in a vulnerable state and people are offering to make it easy on him. He does what's right. He behaves the way that he should. So the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which was before Manri, the field of the cave, which is in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders. He deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the son of Heth. Sons 
of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the son of Heth as property for, bur for a burial place. We are witnesses to the unbelieving world. It has much more to do with what we do than what we say. You got to know that time is going to pass and Ephron is going to come to the place if Abraham had received the land for nothing where Ephron would have behaved as though Abraham owed him something. There would have been a clinging debt to the man of God. And rather than do that, he clears himself completely of it and conducts himself in the way that he's supposed to. There's a very powerful lesson for every single one of us. In the way that business, right, because a lot of the world is about business. You as an employee, your boss, your business transactions, the bank, your bills, a lot of the world is business. And when they find out that we're a child of God, they are going to put us under a microscope. They're going to look at every single thing that we do. Our responsibility is, listen, it's not to be perfect. It's to do the best we can. It's to do the best we can. And, and we have to be honest, because at times it's easier to not do the best we can. At times it's easier to take advantage of the circumstances. This, these lessons, and this isn't just an account of Sarah passing away. The Lord, the Holy Spirit doesn't record in the scripture things for us so that we can just go, oh, and that was the marker of time that this took place at. It's, it's always a spiritual lesson. Always. I'll close with Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You can't make everybody happy, can you? There are always going to be people out there that are upset with everything. But if we've conducted ourselves properly, then those things don't actually cling to us. We stood in our integrity and let the world say what they might say. We have pleased the Lord by conducting ourselves in good works, and it is a testimony to the world. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace in our lives. Lord, we do pray that you would minister to us. We need the leading of your Holy Spirit. Accomplish your work in us and through us. Use us as your servants, Lord. There are so many people that need to hear 
your good news. Orchestrate those circumstances for us. Open our mouths. Fill us with your spirit. And we can draw people into your kingdom this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. As always, please stay in fellowship as long as you want to.